This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not be stronger than it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jesus said, But what about you? Who do you say I am? Well, that's the question, isn't it? At some point in time, sooner or later, each and every person is going to have to give an answer to that question. And for the disciples of Jesus, their opportunity came in the region of Caesarea Philippi, about as geographically far away from Jerusalem and the temple and the religious leaders of Israel that Jesus and company would ever get. Way out yonder in predominantly pagan country, where some people bent the knee to a fertility god named Pan, and still others burnt their incense to pro proclaim Caesar as Lord, Jesus put this ultimate question to his twelve. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples, at a moment's notice, are ready to show Jesus the menu options on this smorgasbord of opinions about who the Son of Man is. They responded, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Who's the son of man? Maybe he's John the baptizer, back from the dead. Well, here's a conclusion from King Herod's troubled conscience. He had had John beheaded, and now maybe the king was worried he was going to get his comeuppance. Who's the son of man? Some people say Elijah. Here's a conclusion from some folks who know at least something about their scriptures. Elijah, the great reforming prophet who came into the world at a particularly troubled time to set things right. Who's the son of man? Well, maybe Jeremiah, maybe one of the other prophets. Here's a conclusion from some folks who weren't all that excited about having just another prophet. It's kind of astonishing to me that all these different opinions about who the Son of Man is didn't thrill folks more than they did. 
Apart from John the baptizer, we don't have record of God sending a prophet for like the last 400 years. And so for people just to kind of casually suggest the possibility that God is speaking through an appointed mouthpiece once again and not think all that much of it, seems kind of astonishing. And what's more, did you notice what all these different opinions about the Son of Man had in common? Who's the Son of Man? Well, just another guy, a mere mortal, and therefore, as a mere mortal, we can safely and easily dismiss his opinions and his word and his teaching. You know, just another prophet, just another voice to ignore. And it would have been all, you know, well and good to keep the discussion about who the Son of Man is way out there and maybe Jesus' disciples kind of sitting around in a circle yucking it up at just how tragically wrong everybody else has it. But Jesus won't let the question sit way out there. Oh, no. Instead, he took that huge question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he turned it into the ultimate question. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Ooh, suddenly the circle of disciples falls silent. And now there's not so much eye contact happening because this is not just a big question or the biggest question. It's the only question. Those disciples of Jesus were swimming in a first-century stew of misplaced expectations and false hopes about who the Messiah would be. What's this guy all about? What can people say about this Jesus fellow? But again, we can't just leave the question out there because Jesus zooms it in right on his 12. What about you? Who do you say I am? Allow me to pause here for a brief public service announcement. When you're reading the Gospels and you come upon Jesus asking a question, it's pretty safe to assume he's not primarily looking for information. So what's he doing? Setting up a teachable moment giving an opportunity for a confession. And here it comes. In answer to Jesus' biggest and ultimate question, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, there it is. I wonder if Simon Peter could actually believe the words that were coming out of his mouth. Before his eyes stood this humble-looking rabbi from Nazareth, Sure, Jesus was a marvelous teacher, but he was so much more than that. He did things that no mere mortal man could do, like raise the dead and heal the sick and drive out demons and walk on water. Just who is the Christ, the Messiah? Christ is not Jesus' last name, but it's a title. And it's the Greek New Testament word that's the equivalent of the Hebrew Old Testament word, Messiah. So Christ and Messiah both mean anointed one. In other words, someone who is set apart as a special person for a very special purpose. And so Peter's confession here is loaded. Tracing the Old Testament promises of what the Messiah would come to do and pinpointing the New Testament fulfillment of the Christ who came, what's he all about? What's his work like? What's he here to do? To take away your sin. To absorb your hurt. To count your tears. 
to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners, to shine the perfect light of his eternal life into the hopeless darkness that is your death. In short, Jesus, the Christ, the promised Messiah, came to make things right. Now, when people hear that, they sometimes get all sorts of wrong-headed ideas about what Jesus is really all about. Jesus came to make things right? So maybe like a therapist who's going to, to hear me and to validate my feelings and kind of send me out the door with a new way of looking at the world. Or maybe it's Jesus, the, the, the justice crusader, who's always going to stand by my side to fight for my particular cause. Or maybe it's Jesus, the moral example, who, you know, just so happens to affirm my own personal moral compass. Or it's the Republican Jesus or the Democrat Christ, the one who agrees with all of my preconceived notions about the way things should be. But did you notice that a Jesus like that looks and thinks and talks and acts an awful lot like you? These, of course, are the best thoughts that the humans have come up with when it comes to answering that ultimate question about who the Son of Man is. And it would be fine, well and good for us to leave the discussion of that question way out there and sit in our own little circle of disciples of Jesus and kind of yuck it up and laugh at just how tragically wrong everybody else has it. But if we did that, you know, don't you? You know, I, I wouldn't really be doing my job. Because Jesus still puts the question to his disciples today. We didn't come here to talk about those people out there because Jesus has a question for you. What about you? Who do you say I am? Notice how he phrases it. It's, it's not, what do you think? What do you feel? What are you hoping for? No, what do you say? What do you proclaim? What do you confess from the faith that comes out of your heart? Well, that's the question. The humans live to create our own gods. The sinful nature inside of you and me will always and only have the wrong answer to that ultimate question of Jesus. And the inborn desire of each one of our hearts is to craft a Jesus in our image rather than the other way around. That's just the way it is for us. And that's the way it was for the Apostle Peter, too. So then how could he nail this one out of the park like he did? How could he give the ultimate answer to that ultimate question? Well, this wasn't Peter putting all the puzzle pieces together to see the big picture. And this wasn't Peter making his decision for Jesus. No. Rather, Peter only confessed what was given him to confess. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Faith that trusts Jesus is the Savior comes only as a gift from God. That's the way it was for Peter. That's the way it is for us. And so at some point in your life, the Lord God of all that is sent someone into your orb to speak the promise of the gospel to you and by the Spirit's grace to plant the seed of faith in your heart. And so now you and I confess only what is given us to confess, who do you say I am, Jesus asks, and we chime in boldly and confidently with the Apostle Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And by the Holy Spirit's grace, you know just what the Christ has come to do. Yes, to set things right, but in the truest and most eternal sense of the word. Jesus did not come to repair a broken world or to reform a chaotic world. He came to redeem a sinful world. With his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, freeing us from the eternal darkness of sin and death and hell, Because Jesus didn't come to sweep your sins under the rug, but to call them what they are and to take every ounce of punishment that they have earned and take it away from you and put it solely on himself. Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Christ, did not come into this world to dress up and paint over the ugliness of death with the skill of a funeral home cosmetician, but to put to death your death and replace it with his eternal life. Who do you say the Son of Man is? There's your answer. That's what Jesus has done for you. In response to Peter's confession of faith, Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, will not prevail against it, will not prove stronger than it. And here we are! as members of the church, built on the rock-solid confession that Peter gave that Jesus is the Christ of God. And yet, isn't it so easy for us to assume that the church of Jesus is a house of cards on a breezy day, always on its last leg, always looking defeated, rather than an eternal fortress built on the unassailable truth of the gospel? Lord, have mercy. And he does. Into a world like ours, filled with uncertainty and flux and change, comes an unfathomable word of promise from Jesus. Here's the certainty you have in Christ crucified and risen for you that he promises not even all the hosts of hell can defeat it. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, will not prove stronger than it. Because of the confidence you have, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And until that day comes, the good news of the gospel will continue to ring out as the church does what Christ has given her to do. Just as individual Christians confess only what is given them to confess, so the church at large does only what Christ has given it to do. And what's that? Not to seek only explosive numeric growth, not to change the culture or fix the world, but to proclaim Christ like Peter did. To acknowledge that this Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world. That this Jesus who has taken on our human flesh is the fullest and final revelation of who God is and what he's up to. That this Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on that note... Jesus has something else to give. He said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. To the church, Jesus hands over the keys to the kingdom of heaven itself. Through the ministry of the church at large and the service of Christians individually, the Lord Jesus still goes about this eternally significant work of binding and loosing 
to the impenitent, to those who couldn't be bothered by their sins or care a bit about what God has to say about them, the church has the solemn charge to preach the law. Your sins are bound to you because of your impenitence and your unbelief. But to the repentant? To those who know and confess their utter unworthiness before a holy God? The church has the joyful task of proclaiming the gospel, pure and free. I don't want to get lost in the weeds of grammar here, but I think there's maybe a little bit more of a precise way we could translate the verbs in this sentence. Jesus says, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, almost to give kind of a cause and effect idea. But that's really not what's going on. More literally, Jesus said, whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Sounds a little clunky, but do you see what that means? That when someone stands before you in the name of Jesus and declares to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins, it's not as though that absolution has to be sent up the line to see if God will hold up his end. Quite the opposite, in fact. It will have been loosed. It's already done. And so we get to take the accomplished fact of your forgiveness before Almighty God and drag it into the present and proclaim it into your ears. And you heard someone do that maybe, I don't know, 25 minutes ago. As a called servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins. That's the rock-solid confession on which the church is built. That Jesus is the Savior of sinners. And by God's grace, that is the promise that is preached into your ears. Who do you say I am? What's fun about that question is that you can go two different ways with it. By the Spirit's grace, we know and trust that this Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and our Savior. And here's the fun part. Knowing who Jesus is now means that you get to know who you are. You see, because you don't get to define yourself any more than you get to define who God is. So have, have you ever wondered about twisting that one around? You ever wonder what Jesus would have to say about you? Ask him. Lord Jesus, I know what the world would say about me. I know what my conscience says about me. But what about you, Jesus? Who do you say I am? Well, you're one whom I love, whom I have claimed as my very own in the water of baptism, and have made you to be my sister, my brother, a fellow child of the living God. What do I say about who you are? You're the one whose sins I have loosed, forgiven, forgotten forever in my blood. You're free now. What do I say about who you are? You're one whom I delight to feed over and again with my living and life-giving body and blood. As surely as I live, so do you. Everything you are and all that you have is founded on the certainty you have in Christ, crucified and risen for you. Your everything is defined by the promise of the gospel and the voice of the church that smashes the gates of hell and life breaks loose. The Lord Jesus has taken the question mark from behind your salvation and put an exclamation point in its place. This is the kind of church that Jesus wants. 
a church that stands forever because it is founded on the unchanging, unassailable truth of the gospel, that this Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he is for you. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.